So there I was. It was at Waco, Texas. It was about, I would say, probably like seven o'clock in the morning. And there was a line stretching around the building as far as the eye could see. Hundreds of people are waiting in line. And you think that I'm there for a football game. Or perhaps maybe Joanna Gaines has a shiplap sale. And I'm there waiting for that place or to get pancakes. No, I was at a book sale. Because that's what I like. I like books. I'm crazy about them. Crazy about them. I don't have enough. I have over 5,000, and guess what? That's not enough. I love these things. These gold glit, beautiful hardbacks. People writing about Jesus from 100, 200 years ago. <sighs> Wisdom. If you know, you know. I'm just, that's all I'm saying. If you know, you know, because this old stuff is gold, people. It is gold. The new stuff, if it's new, it's poo. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, I think they're going to look, if Jesus tarries and doesn't come back, they're going to look at this generation and go, what were y'all thinking? I think God's eventually just going to get so fed up with it, he's going to come back and settle it. And so I was at a book sale. And we're crazy. We're staying up all night to get books. That's crazy, right? Who does that? Who waits in line sits on the, the curb and getting sprinkled and rained on for old books? Well, I do. I'm weird like that. And so all my friends were there. It was like this army of guys waiting for books to read these old dead guys from 100 years ago, like guys like Spurgeon and Finney and Booth and McLaren and Borum. And we're just, we're just seeking the gold. And we just remember, I remember this lady comes up. She drives up. It's like 9 p.m. She drives up her car. She takes a cardboard box. She walks out and she puts it in line and writes her name on it with a Sharpie. And I'm like, well, that's bold. Okay. So we wait all night to stay in line. And in the morning, there's this line of people. And, and, and she, you know, that lady, she went back to her hotel. You know, she got a good night's sleep. We're sl sleeping on the concrete. You know, she's there. She's got the cucumbers on her eyes. I can just imagine it. You know, she's just having a great night's sleep. And we're out on the curb. And they're getting rained on. And what's crazy is she comes back up to her box. And she just picks up her box like nothing happened. And I was like... Whoa, that's, that's a bold move, but respect, respect. This older man, this man is in his like late 60s, early 70s. He sees, oh, I'm so sorry. I had some uh, gray force disciples. I'm a younger man. I speak as a younger man and a young preacher. I humbly submit to the eldership. My fault, mea culpa. Uh, uh, okay, this, this wise and, and, and mature saint, not a saint as you'll see, uh, this person sees what happened and loses their ever-loving mind. They start, like as a street preacher, I know like the crowd building te technique. This guy begins to build his army in this crowd. The, the, can't you see there's a line? And he just starts, get in line, lady. We have a cutter here. He starts to address like 200 people. And the audience begins to swell. And the people begin to be angry and frustrated. And I'm like, I'm going to watch this. 
I haven't had a coffee, but this is enough. I'm watching this event, and she's, he's yelling, get in line, and he starts to shame the lady. And I'm like, well, hold on. I know she's like cucumber lady, but this is a lady. You shouldn't yell at the lady. Get, get in line. This is when, like, the veins started going on his head. And I'm like, brother. I didn't say brother, but I'm like, sir, you are in the aneurysm category. Like, you cannot yell like this. And I just remember him screaming, get and lie, dead and lie. And I'm like, this is intense. This is one of those moments. You know, this was before Karen was popular. And, and so I just remember like, I'm going to step away now. I'm going to let this play out. She stayed there the whole time. He went and got authorities. Literally, I'm going to get the authorities, like the line police involved. And that's when I just remember all these guys, they're there for religious godly books and we're seeing this event unfold and we're like, okay. But then the Holy Spirit, very carefully, very clearly, oh, the danger when you think you're right. Oh, the danger when you think you're right. That's the great issue in history all the great atrocities, all the great horrendous things that were done from one people to another people were based on the principle that they think they were right. This morning, we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 23 when Jesus addresses a group of people who were absolutely convinced that they are right. Turn in your Bibles the Gospel of Matthew as we continue our Matthew series, but as we begin to start and look at Jesus' warnings, as we open this book, would you open our hearts? Lord Jesus, we pray that eyes would see and ears hear what the Spirit says to the church. Lord, that through your word, that you would bring conviction and guidance that those who are lost and don't know it, those who are think that they are right and are actually wrong, that today would be a day of revelation and insight. That, Lord, I may speak the word of God with boldness and with clarity. Amen. Amen. So a little bit of background here. This is the season finale of the Netflix episode. If you're wondering how Jesus interacted with his world, both to the multitudes and to the disciples and to the religious, this is the climax. This is the heated, dramatized, uh, like the season finale episode where everything gets crazy. At this moment, Jesus had, you know, he'd done miracles and spoken and preaching to the multitudes and he raised his disciples and then he's moving into the established religious elite with the Sadducees and the Pharisees and he's dealing with all of these complex ideas and they're questioning them on every time. But Jesus eventually says enough is enough and he begins to say this word. It's the word woe. Whoa. Now that's a word that's not even common today. Shows you where we are at as a culture. Whoa. It means calamity. It means destruction. It's a lament. It's a prophetic cry. Trouble. Warning. Whoa. You know, we don't focus on that. 
And that should be our woe, that we don't focus on the woe. You know, if you think about it, we know the Beatitudes. Grandma has them knitted on her pillow and on her wall. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We know the blessings. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. We know the blessings. We don't know the woes. Did you know the Beatitudes has eight blessings? There's, there's eight woes. Is it possible we've neglected the truths of Scripture? Is it possible that we're more familiar with God's blessings than we are with his warnings? Jesus begins to warn. It's always important to listen to warnings. I remember I was doing handyman work and uh, this lady was like, hey, can you come fix my dryer? And thankfully it was just the plug, you know? You know, it's the, that's the general principle. When you move from one place to the next, it's not gonna have the same plug. There's a three-prong and a four-prong. But whenever you move, it's going to be the opposite one. Just know that. So I've replaced many prongs on the plugs for dryers, and I'm doing this one. And I, you know, I got arrogant. I got cocky. I got prideful. And I'm looking at the washer, and on the back it has all of those what? Stickers and warnings. Warning, 220 volts. And I'm like, ah, this is just a simple screwdriver job. So I get over the back of it. And I get my screwdriver out and I take out the bolts. And everything's good. I replace the prong. I replace the, the cord. We're good. It's all good. And then the lady comes out. And she was a sweet lady. She wasn't an, a Karen. She was nice. It was like Caitlin, not Karen. And she's like, can you make the washer and dryer even? And it's the end of the day. I, end of the job. I'm done. I'm like, sure, let me just grab it. Now, if you know anything about electricity, I reached over and I grabbed the machine to move it. I forgot that I had plugged it in. And when I grabbed the machine, the machine grabbed me. And 220 volts went through my body. That's why this happened. <laughs> and whether into the body, out of the body, I don't know. But I got electrocuted from my heat to my, to my, my head to my feet. And I, and, I, and I just remember stumbling outside the apartment, pouring Gatorade over my head and being like, I'm glad I'm not dead. And that's when it was very clear. Don't neglect the warning. Warnings. Don't neglect them. We're going to get into the warnings of Jesus. Don't let your religious heart neglect them. Don't say, oh, this is for such and such person. That's for those people and not for me. Listen to the warnings of Jesus. To understand context, Jesus is beginning to start his dialogue He's saying, the greatest among you, let him be a servant. Call no one rabbi, for you have one teacher. Call no one father, for you have one father. The greatest among you, let him be a servant. And then he begins to start in his first woe. Verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering in to go in. What an indictment. What a warning. He's saying you keep people out and you yourself don't go in. This morning we're going to be looking at the warnings. Jesus' warnings to what I would call the sons of hell. The sons of pride. 
the people who are in trouble, that are in danger, who think they're right and, and they don't know that they're actually wrong. And the son of hell is confining. They keep people out. Those people, they draw the line. And how do we gauge whether or not we're personally confining? Well, I would say, let's look at our invitation. Measure yourself by your invitation. How many people have you invited to Jesus? How many people have you invited? Are you inviting or confining? Are you Gauge that in your life. Measure your invitation. Now, it says here that they kept certain people out. And, and in that day, it was, you know, the tax collector and it was the prostitute. And in our day, it's the Muslim. It's the homosexual trying to keep them out. You're so worried about what everyone else is doing, but you yourself are not possessing what you confess. You're acting like the gatekeeper, but you never even entered into the joy and the fullness Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. They're confining. The next verse, verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. What this means is that back in the day, the Pharisees, they would perform. They would pray long prayers for people and expect compensation. They would expect, they would basically, it was, uh, if you pay, they'll preach. If you provide money, then, then you, get the pre, you get the prayers and you get the, the sermonettes. I'm grateful to be part of a church that was birthed out of the opposite spirit. Most people don't know that Pastor John, in order to start this church, gave all, used all of his savings personally. You see that? He didn't, you didn't have to pay him to preach. He literally paid out of his own so that the church could be birthed. It's out of the opposite spirit. Beware covetousness and greed. Beware covetousness and greed. Beware the spirit of get. Get. The gospel is give. The gospel is bless. Greed and covetousness takes its in many forms, and it can be outwardly religious. America is being threatened by a prosperity gospel. Come to God and get everything you ever wanted. God will bless you, but the blessing is him himself. Him himself. Jesus gives another warning. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. That means a convert. And when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as you yourselves. What? Where is God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life? Where's that? If you know the course of scripture, this is when Jesus, the words of the rabbi get red hot. This is a very tense situation. This was the reason Jesus was crucified. It's not because he was Mr. Rogers and he went around doing good and healing people. 
It was because of his red hot words like this saying to the religious establishment, you are a son of hell. You see, I'm concerned that the American church has allowed its culture to affect its church. What I say by that is, you think about our culture, we're, we're consumerism culture. Like take, for instance, how we eat. When you study cultures, you look at our inter- your entertainment, you look at its food, and you look at its worship, and you look at its laws. So let's just look at our food. What's popular in America that's not popular anywhere else? Buffets. Well, when we go to a buffet, what do we do? We get what we want. Oh, okay. Crab ragoon, thank you. V- vegetable delight, nah, not happening. Is it possible that our, when we look at the word of God, we gravitate towards his blessings, his, his, his counsel, his comfort, and, and maybe we would put his warnings back and we don't? How dangerous is that? Then we get lopsided. We have a one-sided gospel. We have, we have blessing, but we don't have warning. We have grace, but we don't have truth. Jesus looks at the religious leaders and says, woe to you who travel over land and sea to make one convert. This is what it means. This when, when false doctrines come into the church, it ha- I don't know, in my experience, I've never experienced somebody reading the Bible and praying for the Holy Spirit to give uh, revelation and then coming to a personal weird idea or false doctrine about Jesus. They're usually always instructed by someone. They're always taught by someone a particular stance. And then they hold that doctrine twice as strong as the person who taught it to them. And it begins to be an exponential problem that perpetuates perpetuates itself. Jesus says, woe to the sons of hell, for they're convincing. They'll convince you with worldly wisdom and with the carnal mind. Jesus continues his warnings. And this is where if you're not careful, you can check out. But because he, it goes into this long explanation. Woe to you, blind guides. For you say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold of the temple or them that sanctifies the gold. And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. And if you're confused right now, you're supposed to be confused. Because that's an evidence of a son of hell is they are confused. And what, what happened in Jesus' day is the religious elites... Kind of think of like a pinky swear promise as an oath. Well, I'm going to do it. Instead of just saying yes, let your yes be yes and your no be no, they had these these great elaborate oaths. Like, I'm going to do what I say by the temple. And, And in order to get out of that oath, you had to say, well, not by the temple, but by the gold in the temple. Oh, not by the gold, but by the altar in which, you see what I'm saying? It's just like this ever increasing, confusing, complicated The enemy is the author of confusion. If you just heard last week's message about loving God and loving your neighbor, that would be enough. Beware lest anyone bewitch you from the simplicity that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
that God became a man and shed his blood that you might have life and that you might repent and believe this good news. That Jesus was God on display, God on the, in the flesh, and that he was crucified and he died and he rose from the dead on the third day. Don't be distracted from the simplicity that is the gospel, that it is by grace you have been saved, not as works. And if any man put his trust in Jesus Christ and repent of his sins, he can be saved. Don't let confusion come into your heart from the simplicity that is our faith. A son of hell is confining. They keep others out. They're covetous. They're trying to get. They're convincing and elaborate with the doctrines of men. They're complicated. They're also confused. Jesus says in verse 24, blind guys. No, excuse me. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay on your tithe of mint and anise and cumin and paprika. It doesn't say paprika. I was just making sure you were paying attention. <laughs> You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Now, this is important, friends. Why, are the, why is the spice rack important? Let me explain it to you. They were majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. It's very easy in the Christian faith and get, to get distracted from what Jesus would call the weightier matters of the law. There's significance and glory concerning certain issues in our faith. And Jesus says those three issues are mercy, justice, and faith. Those should get our attention. Those should get our focus. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus talks about tithing here? Now, I remember there was a time in my life I was like, tithing's an Old Testament concept. And I had this preacher go, look right here. Look right here. Jesus says, don't neglect these things. So the issue is that the, 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 the religious heart of the Pharisees, they are so particular to tithe on even their spices, but yet they neglected mercy. I'm afraid we've gone into the other ditch. I'm afraid we've gone into the other ditch where we just say, oh, I'm not even going to tithe. I'm not even going to give. And then we have to worry about covetousness and greed. I remember many times pastoring with people, answering their questions, and many of them come in with money troubles. And the first question I learned, are you tithing? Only one time in the history of all those conversations has anyone ever told me yes. When I talked to that person, do you know what I found out? They were compulsory. They were being forced to tithe by their wife. Then I, I said, well, does this guy even want to? He goes, no. Well, God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give out of obligation, but rather out of joy. I want you to understand that it's mercy. What does that mean? When we tithe, it's an act of mercy. Think about this. There's not a week that goes by where God isn't feeding the homeless through the church, taking care of, of the widow. Just the other night at one of our churches, a lady was coming in on drugs and we used baptismal towels to take care of her. She was cold and wet from the storm and it was basically, it was mercy. But don't 
major on a minor. Don't minor on a major. These things you should do, but not neglect the former. Jesus continues. And as we go into this next one, have ears to hear. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear outwardly righteous, but inside you are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. You appear outwardly righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Americans have been plagued with an idea that you can be somehow inwardly wrong with God. You can have inward corruption and inward deception. You can be living in sin and think that you can be right with God. That you think that, oh, uh, I, I know I'm wrong with God in practice. I can be right with God in position. That's a lie. God sees us for who we really are. The eyes of the Lord behold the evil and the good. His eyes are like flaming fire. He sees us exactly how we are. And the great danger is that people begin to use religious mumbo jumbo, religious talk to try to alleviate their conscience. They, 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 they think that they are outwardly righteous, but they are inwardly corrupt. That's impossible. That's impossible. He is El Roy, which means the God who sees. Paul tells us that God will judge even the secrets of men according to his gospel. When Jesus speaks to his churches in Revelation, he says, I know your works. I know your works. And when Jesus speaks of the righteousness that comes through him by faith, he says, unless your righteousness exceed the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. You can't be inwardly corrupt and right with God. You can't be presently in sin and think that you are saved. Outwardly appearing before men, but inwardly filled of dead man's bones. Jesus said in my name, repentance and remission of sins would be preached in all nations beginning in Jerusalem. It's time we get back to focusing on repentance and remission. Now we know that word, remission. It speaks of cancer in medical terminology. It's literally where we get the word. We know when cancer is in remission is when the power and root of the cancer has been removed. Are your sins in remission? Are you trusting that Jesus is not a covering but a cleansing? The gospel is not a covering. The gospel is a cleansing. It is a remission. It is a forgiveness of sins that it can be, you can be inwardly have not corrupt, but you can be inwardly clean. That I will put a new heart within them, says the Lord, and a new spirit within them that you no longer have to be slaves to corruption, but rather you can have new life. He who has the son has life. 
In Psalms, it says, the Lord hates those who pretend obedience to him. Their time of punishment will be forever. If you preach this, come for you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And we say, well, if we'd lived in the days of our fathers, we have not been partakers with the blood of the prophets. Therefore, they are witnesses against you and that the sons of those who murdered the prophets, you'll fill up the full measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, broods of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you kill and crucify. Some of them you scourge in the synagogues and you persecute from city to city. And all the blood of all the prophets from Abel to Zechariah shall be required of this generation. Sons of hell are cruel. If you look at the great movements of God, whether it was Wesley or Finney or Booth or Savonrola, it was always the religious heart that attacked them. It was always the prideful who are absolutely convinced that they are right, which were the first ones to pick up stones, which were the first persons to make accusations, which were the first, because the religious heart can't stand holiness. The religious heart can't stand purity. But Jesus, Jesus is one prayer. First church is to walk as he walked, talk as he talked. The purpose of pastors is to equip you to look like Jesus and talk like Jesus. The purpose of the scriptures is till we all become to the unity of the faith and we all look and talk and act like him. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. After all of these convicting woes, what's the, what's the rabbi's response? Anger? Resentment? Jesus begins the week. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I long to gather you, but you would not have it. The great testimony of the council of scripture is not that man could not. It's that man would not. It would not come to me that they might have life. The last verse in Revelation, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Even to the religious heart, even to the heart of stone, he says, come. How I long to gather you like a children together. Would you stand with me? The most dangerous thing you can do in this moment is you can start to say, those people. Well, I agree with those preachers' red hot words, but that's for those people. 
Let every man examine himself, whether he be in the faith. Some of you, you stand and you know in your heart of hearts that you're guilty. There's mercy. There is a gospel. There is a cleansing. There is a heart of love for a heart of religion. There is a power of love even for a Pharisee. But no longer would you be under condemnation and guilt but you would find freedom in Christ. But you must have that moment, that confession. You must have that time of decision. Lord, I don't want to be a son of hell. I don't want to be a son of hell. All around the room, just stretch out your hands and surrender. Lord Jesus, you're speaking to many different people in many different places, but Lord, he who humbles himself will but not be despised. One thing you've asked is for a broken and contrite spirit. That means a genuine sorrowfulness, that this isn't flippant, this isn't quick. We trust Jesus that through your, through your blood we have grace and access. Lord, as we listen to this next song, we have ears to hear. I know, Lord, that many people are processing and they're thinking and they're dealing with personal convictions. We pray that your spirit would speak. Amen. As we process this through as a church family, we have a, a place in the back called the starting line.